0: Radio
1: has changed our lives, and that's what they saved our lives. Radio has changed our lives, and that's what they saved our lives. Oh yeah! This is Grave Digger Radio, broadcast live from the afterlife. Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, oh yeah! Welcome to Gravedigger Radio. This is your host, Zach, hanging out in the studio with Anonymous Mike and Jason. Jason, what do you got for us today?
2: Um, To kick things off, I did want to mention that there's still time to check out the Wild Weird World of Word Film Festival 2022 at the University of Kentucky. Films so far on October 10th have been It Follows, October 17th we had The Thing, and on October 31st Halloween Night Itself, Trick or Treat movie from 1007. These will all be presented in the um, Student Center by Dr. Tom Marksberry. He's been on the show before. You ought to know him. Um, He's going to talk about the movies that you see and uh, answer any questions you may have afterwards. He talks about these films, how they relate to the genre as a whole and their their social meaning as well. It's a great time. It's a good way to look at horror movies through a more intellectual lens, if you will. Um, it's free. All shows start at 7 p.m. So if you haven't made it to a showing yet, get down there and we'll be
1: happy to see you. And we went out and saw It Follows and had a really great time there. The whole <laughs> way it's set up is, is really enjoyable. And, you know, for for us, that we're pretty heavily invested in the horror genre and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we knew a lot going in, but to sit there and kind of hear it from an academic perspective was, was really a fun time. It was uh, was an educational time. We got to hang out and meet some cool people and enjoy just kind of being there with other horror fans and you know, pimping the podcast a little bit here and there, too, as we rub shoulders with people. But definitely recommend going checking it out. And, you know, we'll be at these... Every one of them. That's pretty much our plan. So come out with us and support the arts and, and watch some scary movies.
2: It's, it's neat to see the progression of the horror genre as a whole. You know, it started out, I mean, some of the earliest films put to film were horror films. And um, those are really good and very art based. And then they got really cheap for a long ass time. And well, because
1: you kind of had the whole, like, grindhouse
2: thing right, going on. and all on. the slasher stuff. And, right,
1: as much high gore and high sexuality as you could possibly cram into a movie yeah. kind of became the trend. So it got away from the artsy style of things, but I feel like we're kind of, to a degree, going back to that now.
2: Yeah, well, the last uh, five, seven, eight years or so, we've had some really intellectual horror films come out, and you may not think of them that way, because if you're just going in for a spook, You'll get your spook, but you may be missing a lot of stuff. And Dr. Marksbury is really good about pointing that out to you and kind of melting your brain in the process. So, oh, I had a,
0: I have a whole new understanding of John Carpenter's The Thing at this point, this yeah. appreciation for it.
2: Yeah, and he's chosen these films for a reason, and he'll uh, explain that to you. So definitely come out. It's free, so, I mean, why not? So, Jason, what do you got for us today? What's uh, What are we talking about? I wanted to talk today about The Axe Man of New Orleans. Um I finally got to take a lifelong vacation down in New Orleans last year, and I'm going again in November of this year. And, you know, we did several episodes about voodoo and everything else that goes on down there. Uh, I think we did um, the female serial killer as well. And uh, they're just so, it's such a well, you just can't go back to New Orleans often enough and find spooky stories. I, I love the whole, like, southern gothic spooky stuff anyway. So today I wanted to talk to you about the New Orleans Axeman. And... Fans of the you're saying axe not axe. Ass. a okay. x uh, yeah axe
1: get your mind out of the gutter They're there an anonymous Mike the New Orleans ass man is a totally <laughs> different <laughs> character a different guy. in the lexicon yeah. of weird New Orleans uh, characters. Fans of the American Horror Story television series is probably have you've, you you
2: know, you've heard this guy at least a bit from the context of that series. Um, he was used in an episode during season three of of the season was called Coven. He was in in that episode. Those
0: were actually really good. I like Th- that those. was one of the better yeah, series. I like those. Yeah, I Yeah.
2: Um, that included a lot of, that was pretty much set in New Orleans. It had a lot of the big, spooky characters, including, uh, you know, the, the voodoo queen Marie Laveau and also Dauphine LaLaurie. And they also brought in the Axeman for one episode and it was really cool. Um, I, now I do appreciate that they bring those historical figures in, but of course, you know, as a trained history major, I like to try to bring the history back in as much as possible and get rid of the sensationalism and some of the fiction when I can during the series the x-man was played by the, the actor Danny Houston and you may know him from some other roles he was in 30 days of night he was like the head vampire Marlowe. and he's even also been in the first few seasons of yellowstone which is really popular right now he's a he's a great actor he's he's just like a built-in kind of sinister yeah, look to that guy like actor. you see him on the screen you know that guy is a, a bad dude <laughs> It's kind of ironic um, that he would play the Axeman. The Axeman seemed to target the Italian immigrant community in New Orleans, even though he himself, Danny Houston, was born in Rome. And he, his half-sister is Angelica Houston, who's been in everything. And she was, you know, Morticia Adams in the 90s versions of the, the Adams family movies. Other places you may be familiar with the Axeman, um, the Squirrel Nut Zippers. They're kind of a big band group. Um, they got big, really like in the late 90s when there was that uh, big band swing dance craze that came came along. They had an album out in 2018 called Beast of Burgundy, where they referenced the Agsman. So he's been in pop culture quite a bit. But he was an actual true-life serial killer who took victims in New Orleans from May of 1918 to October of 1919. In total, he was responsible for the slaying of six people, but he also wounded six others in kind of like botched like murder attempts.
1: So you said that he primarily targeted Italian immigrants. Yeah. At this time period we're talking in this location, was there like a certain prejudice against Italian immigrants? Were they kind of uh, deemed a lower class by the the times? Yes. But, okay.
2: Like you know, the great wave of immigration. We're you know talking about the end of the nineteenth century into the early twentieth century. Um, not all white people were white. Um, you had the Irish and the Italians in particular who were um, Catholics. And a lot of Americans did not trust them very much because they were like the, the lower European whites, the poor European whites uh, coming to America. And it was like this popular belief that they were more more loyal to the Pope in Rome than they were to the president of the United States. And there was a lot of territorial disputes. You know, you, you like the movie Gangs of New York, right? Oh, yeah. That's one okay, of my favorite movies yeah, of all yeah, time. So just plug into that in your mind real quick. And you can see the racism, racism between like the real American Yanks – Quote, quote, real Americans, right. yeah. We've been here a good 80 years. Who are you, you whippersnappers, coming in off the boat? You know, you're Irish and you're Italians, kind of the the low, poor, white Europeans, you know, immigrating to the United States. And there was, like, ter- territorial disputes, especially in these huge towns, you know, next to New York. New Orleans is one of those big immigrant towns. I saw these huge waves of immigrants coming in, and there was just a lot of, like, social conflict built in around that. So I assume that the man was chafing at that well, yeah and they so, come
0: in willing to work so now they're taking jobs <laughs>
1: maybe
0: can you guys guess what his weapon of choice may
1: have been i am gonna go out on a limb here and say that he was uh swinging an axe
2: yeah it wasn't a weed
1: whacker and the odd thing is like he
2: didn't like cruise around new orleans with an axe he, he would usually find them somewhere on the victim's property
1: i was gonna say because like an axe is not a very easily concealable weapon no. But at the time we're talking, there were a lot of still, you know, fireplaces and wood-burning stoves were pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. So typically most households and families had an axe in the backyard next to the woodpile. And if they didn't, it wouldn't be hard to come by one, you know, maybe in the neighbor's yard. I was going to say, just pop one house over and now you've got your murder weapon. You can yeah. run down a Lowe's. <laughs> right. Ye, ye old Lowe's. <laughs> I don't think they had Lowe's at this time period.
2: Um, it turns out that, you know, with a lot of serial killers most of his victims were female but he did also attack males but that if you analyze the pattern it's kind of like he would chop down the male to get to the female that he was obsessed with or whatever at the
1: time so do you think with you know you say he mostly targets females do you think these were more kind of like he had he had lusted after these women or it was you know unfortunately like what we see still in in modern times The idea of the less dead, it's just kind of shifted racial, socioeconomic classes away from the Italian immigrants. But do you think maybe that he, one, he hated this group, but he also knew that women were typically going to be less investigated than men would be?
2: It's hard to say. I mean, it's pure speculation, you know, maybe because he looked down on these classes in general and especially the women that he wanted to abuse them in particular because they were having the children. That's what I was thinking. Spreading.
0: Yeah.
1: Italian-ness throughout New Orleans. Ooh, Italian-ness. He looked at them kind of as if they were the source of more Italians in the area. I mean,
0: have you guys seen Jersey Shore?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think I take it as a point of pride that I have never seen a single episode of Jersey Shore. You damn skippy.
0: But, Mike, I take it you have? I have actually, I ran down that rabbit hole. What did you do that for? I almost became the Axe Man. (laughs) (laughs) That was uh, what was the
2: the lead girl's name? Snooky.
0: Snooky. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Snooky. Yeah. I hate that I know that so quickly. If I were in the same room as Snooky and an axe,
1: <sighs> could I could can't go say, way. I can't say what would and happen? You're,
0: and you're in there with the situation. One, oh one the god,
1: amazing. you're you're. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> so you gonna... haven't even seen the show and you know. I wish I could just scoop my own brain out with a melon baller. <laughs> So I never had to think about that ever again. I'm sad that that I actually knew what you were talking about. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, I kind of wanted to go
2: down a bit of a a roster of his victims to show the pattern of his killing spree and the things that he was getting up to in New Orleans in the the early 20th century. So first on the list, we have Joseph and Catherine Maggio. These were his first killings. The Maggios ran a bar and grocery on Magnolia Street. Um, They were killed. And again, looking at his M.O. here. Um, They were killed as they slept in bed. They were both killed by a straight razor being pulled across their throats. Okay. And then having their heads bashed in by an axe.
1: So what was the point? I mean, obviously, I mean, we don't know, but I do have to wonder why he took the straight razor to him and then the axe.
2: The speculation is that maybe he was trying to conceal the true murder weapon. And this case was really suspicious because, you know, once they realized that the true murder weapon was first the, you know, slitting of the throats by the straight razor the neighbor who was joseph's brother andrew was a barber (laughs) okay lived lived in in, an adjoining apartment but question when he was questioned by the police he said he you know had no idea what was going on he claimed innocence up and down he didn't hear anything um he was the one who discovered the couple Um, he had no idea what was going on he you know just pled his innocence up and down so make of that you will. Were there
1: any involvements with the uh, with the wife there, any of that kind of stuff?
2: Nothing was noted. Okay. Yeah.
1: But I also have to wonder, too, you know, we, we see this a lot of times, you know, in modern time in, in minority communities, just an unwillingness to talk to the police because they know the police aren't really going to work that hard, so they don't want to be involved as well. Yeah. So I kind of have to wonder if we're seeing some of like that of, like, I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything. Or you know he was the murderer himself.
2: Yeah, it could be, and it already looked bad for him, right? So maybe he didn't want to he, he just self-incriminate, right? You want to give any more information than he needed to? Just
0: shut up and sit down. <laughs> well, well, I'm looking at it from a different angle because, and and Zach, you're you're the medical professional here, but something that I know from my studies in the on the military side is that an assassination is extremely difficult to be done by a slashing motion to the throat. That those those vessels. Don't penetrate very easily. Well, he they may were have, sleep in bed. Though. Well, he may have tried to do that and realized that that was going to fail, and then went to the axe.
1: So, Jason, refresh me on the exact kind of dates that we're talking with this time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, roughly, when are we talking here? Nineteen nineteen. Okay, so we've so at this time period, we've to a degree have gotten away from it. But I mean, depending on how old he is and when he became a barber. A lot of times, your barber was also your surgeon and your, your dentist. dentist. Yeah, And so, there was a lot of medical training that went on at that time period with your barber, especially, you know, you look out west and, and when these towns didn't have a whole lot of resources, your your town doctor was kind of your everything. You know, he, he was a barber, dentist, surgeon, all that. So, it's not unreasonable, especially at this time period, to think that a barber would have at least a fair amount of medical and anatomical knowledge wow. to know yeah. where to make the cuts at. Well,
0: I mean, I, I don't I don't want to get morbid on a morbid podcast, but I, I do understand that in certain trainings of certain individuals in the United States military that have performed some pretty nefarious things, that the training is conducted in a fact that you cannot cut from the Adam's apple backwards. You must cut from the ear forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's accurate. Yeah. Most of your, you know, if you cut in the center... You're going to get bogged down by a lot of the cartilage there. I'm so
0: comforted by the fact that you guys know this stuff. Isn't that just sick (laughs) that I know this? But I mean, I'm going to sleep so soundly tonight. (laughs) The the CIA actually trains this.
1: I mean, it makes sense because going from the ear forward, it's mostly muscle and vasculature. So it's a lot easier to hit a major artery and vessel going that direction. That makes sense. Okay. The next set of
2: victims (laughs) is a Mr. Louis Bessemer and Harriet Lowe. And this this case kind of set off a bit of a media firestorm in the local press because Harriet was actually Louie's lover slash mistress because he was already married to a woman, a wife he had left back in Cincinnati. Now, they both actually survived the attack and therefore became under investigation by the Norton's police for some time, which made Harriet mad as all get out. And she she was really mad at the chief of police for this because she was like one of the prime suspects there for a while. The, cus- the couple was assaulted by an axe that belonged to Mr. Bessemer and was left behind on the premises. And this led to Mr. Bessemer's employee being arrested, a Mr. Louis Ubicon, who was an African-American man. So, naturally, Harriet had initially claimed that being attacked by this mulatto man, this black guy, was close enough and the police took him, you know, downtown for questioning.
1: So they, they literally just went, eh, close enough, he, he fits the description, quote, quote. Yeah. And well,
2: oh, they the threw him it yeah, the bus. It. And not not much has changed, right? They threw the black guy under the bus and they're like,
1: okay, worse for us. Right. Took well, him down and, and that's what a beat his ass. I and, have to wonder too, a lot of these cases, they, they want to close them as quickly as possible. So they're just gonna stick it to anybody they possibly can, especially this time period. Yeah.
2: And it and then it got really weird because later on when they couldn't find enough to to, to convict <laughs> the mulatto Lewis um, hater Harriet then claimed that it was Louis. Sorry, the names are close here. Louis, the African American, and Louis, the married guy that she was sleeping around with. So she threw Louis under the bus next, saying that um, he was actually the culprit, and that not only was he a killer, but he was a Russian spy.
0: Okay, so I
1: did, I did not realize. <laughs> I mean,
0: are we talking? Wait, we had Russian spies right after World War One.
1: It's yeah. Well really. Are we we're talking roughly what Bolshevik Revolution times? Yeah, nineteen ten. Yeah, smack on, yeah. yeah. So I, I did not realize that we were concerned about Russia. Again. <laughs> I didn't know that. We we we've really just gone in about a seventy year cycle. Yeah. For the past like six hundred years. It's always those damn Russians. It's always the Russians, apparently. And and in modern day it, it is the Russians.
0: So the Axeman's Russian.
1: <sighs> she she would lead people to believe, yes. So they they searched Louis' apartment where they uncovered
2: documents in several languages, but Russian was one of them. And so then he was arrested and spent nine months in jail before ultimately being released. Now, after all this shit hit the fan, the the couple still stayed together. Um, Harriet did end up passing away eventually because she had so much damage, you know, from the attack. And all these surgeries, you you know, the best medical care you can get in 1918, 1919 – I just wasn't enough to do the trick. So it didn't, eventually she did eventually pass away from, you know, the, the, the surgery attempts to get her back to normal. That's
1: pre-antibiotic, right? I, I would I would be remiss to say that's pre-antibiotic. I, I couldn't exactly tell you.
0: But penicillin would have been about it. Pen,
1: penicillin would have been about it. And at that time, though. They still didn't have a great grasp of sterile technique.
0: And you can't amputate the head. Right. I mean, that's, ama- that's amazing that she survived it. Uh, you, I, why am I not a doctor? Right. <laughs>
1: you, you,
0: you got it, Jason.
1: You actually can amputate this the stuff head. stuff is
0: easy. Shit.
1: <laughs> Only once, though. And it typically has a very poor prognosis once you remove the head yeah, from the Yeah, what
0: is the sus- is success rate there,
1: Zach? Zero <laughs> percent. Um, uh, I'm thoroughly convinced. Well, to date... To date. So, well, there was that whole thing years ago that China supposedly had, like, the first body transplant where they were able to remove somebody's head and put a new body on it. And that was total bullshit. It was complete
0: bullcrap. Right? Well, the yeah. head, sure. but
1: <laughs> Right. Like, there's there's no way, as far as modern science, to actually remove a head from... One body and put it on a like a donor body. It just doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, it's my dream to just be in a head in a jar or down here in the basement, just recording podcasts. Oh yeah, for I can't wait. For I that. can
1: I can make you a head
2: in a jar. Like, maybe that's, all maybe all three of us at one point we're just down here just gurgling. Didn't, away. They, didn't
0: they Didn't they do some primates that had some short term success at one point? I, I are you saying Italian Americans are primates? I'm just saying there's a potential for a success rate. <laughs> success is a very loose term. I mean, yes. I think
1: I remember the study you're talking about. There was some bodily functions that occurred, but a lot of that stuff is not a quality of life of any sort. All
0: right. Hang on. I'm looking up monkey head transplant.
2: Okay, you work on that. I'll go on with the story. All right. I'll see you
0: guys in five minutes.
2: (laughs) Anna Schneider was attacked on August 5th, 1918. The next victim at the time, she was eight months pregnant with her child, who was born two days later. Anna had awoken during the night to see the axe man looming, looming over her. Um, as she slept, um, he then proceeded to beat her about the head and face. Anna was found later by her husband Ed, who came home late from work to find her, like you know, just soaking in her own blood. Um, after this attack, the investigators began to link them together and believe that they had someone. I'll use the anachronistic term serial killer on their hands because so they'd identified an M.O. at this point. We didn't have the term serial killer yet. But um, they could see a pattern developing. Yeah, serial
1: killer wasn't even coined as a term until the 1970s with Ted Bundy.
2: Right. The, the FBI kind of became to start following patterns, doing the whole, like, you know, psychological, like, pattern forming and research and all that stuff. So that's, yeah, like I said, this, they didn't know it at the time, but they had a serial killer on their hands. And did you know that at any given moment, there are probably 25 to 50 active serial killers in the United States?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's pretty fair. Like that's easy to believe because I don't really know the the current definition of serial killer, but I'm sure it's probably just two or more mm. to to be a serial killer with similar M O S and patterns. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's completely believable.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how how they can just keep going before they're caught.
1: Well, and two, and and we'll talk about this. You know, we and we have talked about it before. The concept of the less dead. I mean, a lot of times yeah. these you know modern serial killers. Will target people that they know the police aren't really going to investigate anyway. Yep. And they'll go after them, and that's how they get these body counts, is because a lot of times nobody even reports these people as missing.
2: Like Italian American immigrants in the early 20th century.
1: That would be a, a definite, they would definitely fall
2: under the category of the less dead. There you go. Speaking of which, Joseph Romano was attacked in August of 1918. He was a very elderly man, and he was living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno. Um, the girls heard a commotion and they ran into the room to find their uncle again severely beaten and bleeding profusely from his head. Um, they caught a glimpse of the assailant as he was fleeing the scene, but they they all all they could determine was that he was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and slouched hat. Um, Romano did die from his wounds a few days later due to the severe head trauma. Um, the home the home had been ransacked and authorities found what do you know a bloody axe in the backyard and discovered that a back panel on, like, their rear fence had been, like, chopped away. That's how he gained entry to the premises. So their model murder really started, like, widespread panic kind of in the city. At this point, the police began receiving all kinds of reports from the citizens claiming to have seen a man lurking around the streets carrying a bloody axe. Joseph, I'm sorry, John D'Antonio, a retired Italian detective, again, the irony is deep in this story, um, made public statements in which he began to link the axe-men together with all these killings going all the way back to 1911. And he believed, he was telling people, these slayings were the work of a deranged individual, perhaps suffering from some kind of dual personality disorder. And he hypothesized that they might even be a typical citizen by day, but then become this bloodthirsty killer by night in some kind of weird Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of scenario. So this guy was a little
1: bit ahead of time, if I have to say so. Yeah, the detective for sure. Uh, as far as the media goes, how sensationalized and heavily publicized were these attacks yeah we're talking front
2: by this by this time we're talking about like front page stuff the the, 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 the papers were carrying this and uh, you know generating sales and all these kills Well
1: because you' you're talking at a time period of the, the whole concept the first really rearings of the idea of the whole yellow journalism of uh, you know promote the most sensational <laughs> again nothing has changed <laughs> no it, it's, all, it's all the same bullshit. But to where journalism at this time period was all about sales because you had all these competing newspapers. Yeah. So each newspaper would put out the most sensationalized story, but they would always add about 20% craziness to the story. So if you look at stories from this time period, there's a lot of embellishment. So I also have to wonder, with this kind of notoriety and being front page journalism, uh, the possibility of copycats out there.
0: Wait a minute. This is starting to sound a whole lot like. Grape digger radio.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, even when I was doing a lot of local (sighs) history, like for some of our previous episodes,
1: you wouldn't
2: believe how many newspapers functioned in Lexington, freaking
1: Kentucky. How many did we have at one time? It was a lot. Five or six. Yeah. Really?
2: Currently, we basically just have the Herald-Leader, which was just the Herald and the leader got in bed at one point and became one, one one, one newspaper like we had several newspapers operating all, all
1: throughout our history yeah and the goal would always be to sell the most papers so it was not uncommon that they would would amp up the stories a bit more to kind of one up their competitors there there's a great quote you know when the legend or when the lie is better than the truth publish the lie <laughs> so i mean and that's that whole yellow journalism thing well, that it really came from that that's us yeah. Well, no, we're, we, we're pretty factual here at Gravedigger Radio. Yeah,
0: but we don't want to tell the public that. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be the yellow journalism. We want to sell Patreon subscriptions. That's what we want to sell, all six of them. <laughs> so far, that's only <laughs> me, but shooting, whatever. We're shooting for seven. <laughs> uh, let's keep rolling. Um,
2: Charles Cordemiglia, again, an Italian immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie, and their infant daughter, Mary. Uh, they lived at the corner of Jefferson Avenue and 2nd Street in Gretna, Louisiana which is like a suburb on the other side, so the eastern side, of the Mississippi River. On the night of March 10, 1919, screams were heard coming from the Cortemilia residence. Grocer Orlando Giordano <laughs> rushed across the street to investigate. Upon his arrival, Giordano noticed that Charles, his wife, and their daughter had all been attacked by the unknown intruder. Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, clutching her deceased daughter. Charles lay by the floor bleeding profusely, and the couple was r- rushed to a nearby charity hospital where it was discovered that both had suffered skull fractures. Nothing was stolen from the house, but a panel on the back door had been chiseled away and a bloody axe was found on the back porch of the home. Yikes. Charles was released a few days later while his wife remained in the care of doctors. Upon gaining full consciousness, Rosie made claims that Giordano Giordano and his 18 year old son, Frank, were responsible for the attacks. Year-old know 69—I'm sorry, I'm struggling with the names here— a 69-year-old man wasn't too poor of a health to have committed these heinous physical crimes. Um, but Frank Giordano, more than six feet tall and weighing over 200 pounds, would have been, like, just too big to get through the little hole carved in the back fence. So Charles Cortamiglia vehemently denied his wife's claim. so he went against his own wife, but the police nonetheless arrested the two men and charged him with murder. The men were later found guilty. Frank was sentenced to hang, and his father to life in prison. Charles divorced his wife after the trial, and almost a year later, Rosie announced that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. Her statement was the only evidence against the Giordano's, and they were released from jail shortly thereafter.
1: That's that's what I'm kind of wondering with all these killings or all these attacks, because I mean, really, there seems like there's been a lot of attacks, relatively few. Outright killings, or they died later. He's he's batting five hundred, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. They, I mean, they that's pretty good, not bad. He's yeah, <laughs> right. But they died typically after the attack, like several days. Yeah, they suffered a bunch of head trauma, and then a couple days needed to. So, I mean, you, you think you know the somebody strong enough to swing an axe should be able to kill somebody outright with the swing of an axe.
2: It's like he thought he'd done enough work and he got out, and a lot of these times he was interrupted. Okay. So, so he he kind of left it unfinished.
1: So it's, so a lot of like really quick kind of berserker style attacks to where he's trying, he's trying to cause as much carnage as fast as possible. And then yeah. but he's interrupted and he has to bounce. And maybe it's like all
2: passion filled. So he's like, you know. What? And then he blows his, <laughs> blows his stuff. And yes. <laughs> What's that phrase? What's that phrase? Oh. Premature. He
0: finished prematurely. So he kicks, kicks off a nut. And
2: <clears throat> he finished prematurely. So it seems as if... As if, and this, it's kind of his modus operandi, that he would, like, bludgeon these people and assume that he did done enough damage to to kill them off. So it wasn't truly the case. He only, also, honestly, about 50% of the time actually committed a murder. The others survived. And we don't know, again, a lot of these crimes tend to be um, sexually motivated. So he may have finished prematurely and uh, gotten out of Dodge or been interrupted, and he didn't have enough time to finish the deed. His next victim was Steve Boka, a grocer who was attacked, again, in his bedroom as he slept by an axe-wielding intruder. And this was on August 10th of 1919. And a dark figure looming over his bed. Um. Once he recovered, he ran out into the street to investigate the intrusion and kind of found, you know, that, oh my goodness, I'm bleeding profusely and my head is badly damaged. He ran to the friend, uh, his neighbor, Frank Genusa. And where he lost consciousness at last and, and collapsed there at his door. Um, nothing had been taken from the home. And yet again, he had the intruder had like pried open a back door to gain interest to in the home and uh, snuck upon his uh, victim as he was sleeping in bed. And it was this attack. We'll get back to this in a moment. This attack took place right after the emergence of the infamous axe man letter. OK, which was? We'll get back to it. Oh, OK. Because there are more victims to come. Sarah Lowman was attacked the night of September 3rd, 1919. Neighbors came to check on the young woman who lived alone. And when they came to check on her, she did not answer. So they, you know, broke in. And they found the 19-year-old lying unconscious on her bed, suffering from a severe head injury and missing several teeth. A bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn of the building. She did survive. She recovered from her injuries, but she just wasn't able to recall many of the details of her attack. And then Mike Pepitone was attacked on the night of October 27th, 1919. It was His wife, who was awakened by a noise and arrived at the door of his bedroom, just as a large axe-wielding man was fleeing the scene. Mrs. Pepitone wasn't able to describe many of the characteristics of the killer, but um, she did notice that he was wielding an axe, and this was the last of the alleged axe-man attacks. Yeah, you can see how his trend was. He had an M.O., a breaking in, usually through the rear entrance, At night, picked up an axe, went after the Italian-American immigrants. Now, we want to get back to the infamous Axeman letter, yes?
0: Absolutely. It's about time. Yeah,
2: so suddenly the killings just stopped. He was never caught, and there was never any answer as to why all this went down. But there was a letter that arrived to the New Orleans Times Picayune on March 13, 1919, which claimed to have been penned by the killer, and I'll read it to you now verbatim. Quote, Hell... March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal, They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleans and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see Vitt, I shall come again and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, be smeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, and others. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep from all harm. Undoubtedly, you New Orleans... Think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now to be exact, at twelve fifteen earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people, and here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the neither regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is, some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, we'll get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, and it will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or in realm of fantasy, the Axeman." This was published in the times in March 13th, 1919.
1: So, I hear your reading of the letter, and as I've just kind of taken it in... I should have gone into theater, don't you think? I, I, I do. I could have been like Brad Pitt or... But given that this was the letter from the quote killer, and if this was actually from the actual Axeman, it really just lends credence to what we've said before, is that all throughout history... Serial killers are the biggest fucking dorks
0: and narcissists, megalomaniacs. I wouldn't yeah. even
1: give them the that the, I almost feel like that's too nice. Like serial killers all throughout history have been absolute fucking losers. <laughs> I mean, they are. I mean, this smacks so much of fucking dork faced Dennis Rader, BTK killer, uh-huh. writing these bullshit poems to the newspaper like, I feel like if I saw a serial killer, like, that fits the actual profile, I'd give him a wedgie. Like, they're just that kind of
0: fucking loser. Well, maybe what, that's about, how- what, what about Ted Bundy? He was a big, tall drinker. I
1: would I would bully Ted Bundy. I would bully serial killers. That's what I would dead. do. No, I'm I'm not a woman. He That's pretty much what oh, his target. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, like, oh, my God. I, 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 that's why we don't do true crime, because I <laughs> fucking hate serial killers. I truly do.
2: I watched that Ted Bundy documentary. I, I recently had... My, finally got around to having COVID, and so my ass was flat on the couch for a week, and I watched that whole miniseries, and I wanted to beat that guy into oblivion. I, I would. I would Every pick... word he said triggered my crocodile brain to bludgeon him until he did not move any longer. I don't know. That statement kind of makes me like him a little bit, because if you consider <laughs> the pop music we have today—
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I can enjoy some New Orleans jazz, <laughs> but I mean, the fact that he wrote this big letter just so the city would have an impromptu jazz concert. Like they weren't doing that already. Right.
0: <laughs> I Wait just, uh, a minute. Maybe this was a conspiracy by the jazz artists of uh, New Orleans.
2: Well, he was true to his word. And that night, no murders were committed in the city.
1: Right. Well, I mean, there probably wasn't going to be any murders, period.
2: But he did kill two more after that. Oh, that's not good. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's why I read it in order. But yet, um, his case was never solved. Nobody ever figured out who the ax man was. Six victims and six other people that survived, but you know, could have easily died of their wounds as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like the stereotype is that serial killers prey on weakness. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, they just like there's not a a lot of hoist Gracie and there's serial killers. There's a lot of like this
2: um, punishment involved. I think got this idea in the head that you know women aren't worthy or that immigrants are low scum people that need to be eradicated. It's a very weird
1: psychology to get into. I think there's a fair amount of, of racism that does go into some, some of these serial killer types mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's necessarily because of their own internal feelings towards that racial group or if it's because they know that this is a group that they can kill and it won't be investigated as heavily. Could be both, and it, it, it absolutely could be both. So the killing just stopped abruptly. Just stopped. So how long of a time period were these killings going on for?
2: Uh, let me scroll back. It was what May of nineteen eighteen to October of nineteen nineteen.
1: So year and a half. Okay, so not like a long enough. So it wasn't like a, like a lot of serial killers will have this kind of cooling off period, then they'll start back. Mm-hmm. This was kind of this was very much a spree in a sense. Yeah, but what's very interesting though. Is he? It doesn't seem like he ever really had a true like berserker pattern, to where he just went house to house to house wiping people out. He was very regular though. Yeah, it was very regular. But a lot of times these serial killers will ramp up into just like an absolute. They'll lose it, right? Yeah, but it, that just didn't seem like it ever occurred, or at least it was never reported anyway.
2: Yeah, who's to say if they never pinpointed who it was? So he, who knows what happened to him? Obviously, he was stopped one way or another.
1: Right, I mean, it could have been taken. I mean, for all we know, yeah, somebody could have taken him out, and we would have would have never known because just the way journalism was at this time period. All right, guys. Well, that's a wrap for the Axe Man. Did of we Orleans. famous prematurely? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we kind of encapsulated as best we could for especially for a killer where there's not a lot of information. And that's kind of one of the things here at Gravedigger Radio is we, we explicitly don't do true crime. There are plenty of shows out there that do true crime. So we kind of shy away from it and stick to these more obscure stories.
2: One argument is that if you take the Axeman at his word, it's not true, kind because there's a supernatural element because he is a demon from hell.
1: Yeah, but then you end up with, uh, oh, fucking, what was the, the Night Stalker guy? Uh, I was a Satan Ramirez. Yeah, yeah, Richard Ramirez, Ramirez. The, the Night Stalker. I mean, yeah, he was a, was a demon, a Satanist, and all that stuff, too. And I, and I think a lot of these folks just kind of want to inflate themselves with this supernatural element, and especially since he'd gone so long without getting caught with so many attacks, that it he almost going to maybe believe his own bullshit, that he is uh, an angel of death in a sense.
0: He's Papa Legba, for sure. You know, Papa Legba's a cool dude, but actually. But Papa Legba's a cool guy, <laughs> we covered all that in our voodoo
1: episode. Yeah. Alright, guys, well that's all we've got for you today. So if you like what we're doing here at Gravedigger Radio, and you want to help us keep doing it, head over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash gravedigger radio or if you just like to buy us a beer because you enjoy the show head over to buy me a coffee forward slash gravedigger all right guys we'll tune in next time for another spooky tale